live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstadt, last evening I participated in a ritual that I have never been part of before. I've never even heard of something like this My imagination is just... Absolutely. Okay, well, so, so here's the deal. We have some... They are they're they become very good friends of mine, very close friends of my wife, and their youngest daughter is getting married in okay. a couple weeks. It's going to be an outside wedding at their home. All right. Now they've got this spectacular. They've got a very 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 nice. They've got spectacular. Home. They've got a spectacular home. But you know, and so it's going to be this outdoor wedding, and it's going to be reasonably large. Actually, it's going to be very large. And so you don't want it to rain. Now they're going to have mm-hmm. tents and stuff, but you don't want it, it sure. to rain. Sure. So last night, they had a, a what they call a bury the bottle ceremony, where they invited. There were probably about twenty of us there. And what happens is, and this is this is all this ritual that's designed to make sure you're going to have good weather on the day of the wedding. And so what happens is the father of the bride, like, digs a hole in the backyard. And then you all go out, and there's a, a guy who, like, leads this little ritual. And the bride and the groom are there, and they wear these little hats. And the, the, mother, of the bri- mother of the bride and the father of the bride, they, they wear these hats. 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 Well, they're like, they're like, they're like, yes, they're hats. They're like court jester hats and stuff like that. And you take, you take a, a, a bottle of alcohol and you bury it. Upside down in the garden. Now, upside how, down. How good a bottle? Okay, well, this is where we're going to be getting to in just a minute. So, and then you, so the, the hole when we got there was already pre dug. And okay. so they, and there's this kind of ritual, and everybody stands around and they read this little poem and stuff. And it's supposed to be this kind of thing for good luck that you're going to have good weather on the day of the, the wedding. And so you go through this little ceremony, and then, you know, the, again, father of the bride fills in the hole, you know, mm-hmm. and so. That, that that is the idea. Okay, so this, you're looking. You've obviously never heard no, of this either. No, I have not. Okay, so all right. This shows how my mind works. So I'm watching this whole thing go by, and my question again. I was like, okay, what kind of bottle are, are we going to bury? Well, as it turned out, they had a bottle of Jack Daniel's bourbon whiskey, but. Okay. But, 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 I'm looking at this, and, and this is, because it's going to be a big wedding, and they're apparently trying to get, you know, a, a big time, you know, big time karma to have good weather. It, it wasn't like an airplane bottle. It wasn't a pint bottle. It wasn't a fifth. It's a liter of, like, Jack Daniels. All right. All right. And they bury the liter of Jack Daniels. And then, you know, so it's, it's buried. Forever? Well, okay, this is, this is where my mind works. So I'm watching all this, and then I just got to know. I said, you know, now look, I, because... I, I am a bourbon drinker. You, you know? don't remember and, where they buried that. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly day. right. I, I'm 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 a bourbon drinker, and you know, while Jack Daniels isn't necessarily my bourbon of choice, it'll um, do. Right, exactly. <laughs> I've spent many a night with, with Mr. Jack Daniels, and and there's this now. There's a liter of Old Number Seven that's buried in the backyard. So that's what I say. I say I'm just kind of curious. Are, are 
is this ever dug up? <laughs> you know, and and oh yeah, it, it's sometimes. And then they start telling me that you know, and all these different weddings that family and friends have done, that the only time this hasn't worked is when apparently somebody dug the bottle up before the wedding, <laughs> and and it rained. So. I guess now I'm in this position. I'm thinking, well, the, the the party I want to get invited to is the one, you know, after we're digging up the yeah, bottle yes. of old number seven and yes. stuff. But it was it was kind of this interesting sort of thing. So I I have uh, the, the the couple that's getting married are delightful people. And I I'm I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful evening. But I will tell you, if this ends up working. Well, I, I know what I'm going to recommend that everybody does from now on for well, outside, outside weddings. I would suggest if it's a cash bar <laughs> and the weather is nice, if you keep, you keep an eye on yeah, where right. that was and dig that up after the reception, well, well, get going. Well, that's what I, that I I did say to the owner of the house. I said, hey, if your motion detectors ever go out <laughs> at night and, and, you, and you look out, and I look familiar, you know, it might be me out there remembering where this bottle old number seven was buried. You know, so if, if you ever get really thirsty, I know where this is. So... I, I, you've never heard of that either. No, no. I've right. heard of where well, you buried the saint or whatever. And saint you can Joseph can sell the house, yeah. right, 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 right. That's yep. the only one I've heard of. No, this is bury the bottle, and you got to bury the bottle upside down in order to, uh, you know, in order to do that. So I and I and I have I have no doubt that that bottle is going to be. See, I think that would be cool after the wedding. You know, after dig it comes up. off, yeah, you, you you dig it up and you pass it around for the bridal party. <laughs> yeah, or something that's a great like idea. That. That's it. All right, so that's how I spent a part of last night. You see, I learned something new every day. I was uh, preempted yesterday because of the early Brewers game. What an interesting game! They fall way behind and then come back for a big win. So I have not had a chance to weigh in on this brouhaha. Let me be extremely clear. I think what this singer Drake did on the sidelines in Toronto on Sunday evening was disgraceful. I think it is an embarrassment that the National Basketball Association allowed him to do that. I think it's an embarrassment that they still haven't commented on that. I think it is shameful that the Toronto Raptors allowed this to go on. I think it is completely and totally inappropriate, and I think Toronto should be issuing an apology. Now, does, does this affect the game at all? Well, no, it doesn't. But his behavior along the sidelines, I think, was absolutely and totally reprehensible. And nobody should be able to get away with that. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think the NBA's got to make a statement. And that statement is that you can't have celebrities who are hanging out and they've hanging out at courtside seats that are roaming up and down the courtside seats and going on to the court and screaming at the players and touching the coaches that to me is completely and totally unacceptable and it is an embarrassment to the NBA that they allowed it to go on on Sunday 4147991620 that's the Acunet mortgage talk and text line did drake go too far we discuss in just a moment if you're on the line please hold on this is jeff wagner you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj so glad to have you with us. Look, I think the Bucks are the better team. I think at the end of the day, they're going to win the NBA playoffs against Toronto. I, I will admit the Bucks kind of laid an egg on Sunday night in Toronto. So, I mean, they deserve to lose. You know, tonight's another game. That, that's fine. Let, let's move on with that. But but here's, and, and the Tuesday night and Sunday night when they lost. But here here's the thing. The behavior of this this rapper Drake, who is like Toronto's ambassador along the um, along the sidelines on Tuesday, I think was nothing short of 
appalling. And I, I think the fact that if Toronto tolerates this and encourages it, it demonstrates what a no-class organization this really must be. It also, I think, raises questions about the NBA that they would allow something like this to go on. Okay, here's a couple texts. Jeff, I agree his behavior was disrespectful. However, the Raptors bought him a half-million-dollar suit coat and gave it to him last game, so I don't think they're going to go do anything about it. Well, that may very well be the case, but that's why you need the NBA to do something about it. All right, here's another text. Jeff, he violated the NBA fan code of conduct. The NBA needs to make a statement. That is 100% accurate. Here, Here is the fan conduct advisory, if you haven't seen this. And this is something, they have these on cards, and they have them especially at the, the courtside seats. Here's what it says. Fans who act inappropriately will not be tolerated and are subject to ejection from the arena and or revocation of their tickets. Examples of inappropriate behavior include, but are not limited to, using abusive language or gestures directed at any player, coach, referee, fan, or person involved in our game, making or attempting to make any physical contact with any player, coach, referee, fan, or person involved in our game, disrupting or interrupting the game, entering the playing court, throwing objects, or any other form of improper conduct. Well, Okay, how how many of those elements were, were violated? And the officials let them get away with it, and security lets them get away with it, and, I mean, at, at some point in time, you wonder, are there now going to be any standards? And does this mean that everybody who is sitting courtside tonight in Milwaukee now gets the opportunity to roam up and down the sidelines and try to massage the shoulders of the Bucks coach and stand by the free throw line and scream at Toronto players when they're shooting free throws and play air guitars and stuff? And my answer would be, no, they're not going to be tolerated. You're not going to be allowed to do that. And I think it's way past time for the NBA to recognize that, okay, maybe the Toronto Raptors, like I say, are a no-class organization. And I appreciate the fact that you want to have the fans that are going to be excited and you want to go cheer for your team. I get all that. But there there are limits. And it's very clear to me that on Tuesday night, this guy on the sidelines way, 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 way crossed those limits. And I think it's appalling that the NBA doesn't appear to be willing to do anything about it. Now, I would not encourage or advise anybody who's fortunate enough to have courtside seats to this evening's game to do that, because my guess is... My guess is the Bucks organization is not going to tolerate it. My guess is that NBA security is not going to tolerate it. But if you're not going to tolerate it for the average fan, why? Why do you tolerate it in Toronto just because the guy is a famous, I don't know, singer and just because he's the Toronto super fan? I don't care. You can be a super fan, but that still doesn't give you the right to walk up and down the sidelines. It doesn't give you the right to go make physical contact, massage the coach's shoulders and things like that. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage you know, talk and text line. I was just stunned watching this game on Tuesday night and, and shocked that they would allow something like that to happen. Let's talk to Jerry in Lake Mills. Hi, Jerry, or WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I'm happy to be on your show. I listen to you every day. Thank you for joining um, me. My reaction to your comment is this, that I uh, I also feel the, the networks are at fault here again. They're promoting this kind of behavior because, as I recall, there were at least seven or eight in times in the time that I was watching that he was featured either during a dead ball or 
and never was there a, a negative comment made about it. Right. So uh, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I got so disgusted with it, and I love the Bucks. I just turned the thing off. Well, it, 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 it anymore. right. I mean, uh, thanks for calling. Now, some people might say this is sour grapes. It, it's not. I, that that is not my perspective on this. Look, I, I Toronto deserved they they much they played much better than the Bucks did on Tuesday night. The Bucks have to figure it out for tonight. That's not the point. The guy's behavior was classless and obnoxious, and the fact that Toronto allowed him or encouraged him to do it demonstrates to me it's perhaps a classless organization. But where is the NBA in all this, and where are the referees in all this? Here's a text, Jeff. I'm going to buy a front row ticket to a game sometime next year. Try the same thing. Watch me get kicked out yes you will get kicked out the rules weren't written for all of us apparently absolutely that that's that's the case and believe me again this isn't sour grapes and i i appreciate that you know you want to have fans that are cheering and involved in the game but i mean do we really want a situation where in every nba arena you're now going to have the people that you know populate that front row seats or the first couple rows that now they have a right to walk up and down on the court and walk down and scream up close at the players and all and my answer would be no it's not safe there there are limits Clearly, this guy crossed the limits. And again, to me, it's not just that he did it. I understand because he's going to do what he's going to do. It's that Toronto not only allowed him but encouraged him to do it and that the NBA did nothing about it. That's where I think the disgrace is. I hope nobody tries this this after this evening. I mean, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers and Danica Patrick are going to be there, but I, I, you know, I would hope that Aaron Rodgers would have more class than to walk up and down, you know, and and scream and try to make himself the center of attention. It's just flat inappropriate, and it would be inappropriate for Aaron Rodgers to do it, and it was inappropriate to allow this to go on in Toronto. Tell you my story about my front row seats in just a minute. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Let us be clear. First, we take the cars. Secondly, we put the people who are driving the cars in jail. It is time to stop tolerating st- stop tolerating behavior that is putting the rest of us at risk. Well, what, what am I talking about? Well, actually, Fox 6 had a very, very interesting story, and it's something that we've touched on over the years. In, in Milwaukee, just Milwaukee alone, over the past three years, 43,000, 43,000 people. All right, picture Miller Park jammed to the gills and standing room only. 43,000 people have been cited in Milwaukee alone for driving a car while unlicensed, while their license was suspended, or while their license was revoked. Think about that. 43,000 people cited over just the last three years. There are studies out that suggest that one in five fatal crashes one in five, at least one driver is not validly licensed. These same studies say that drivers are nine times more likely to leave the scene of a crash 
and drivers who've never been licensed are more hazardous than those who are suspended or revoked. So there's no question. There is a huge relationship between fatal accidents and people driving with revoked licenses or who've never had a license or, or whatever. And yet it goes on and on and on. Bear with me. You will remember the story from February of this year where you had the uh, the DPW worker in Milwaukee, the guy who was filling potholes, and he was hit and killed by the, this reckless driver who you know came up on the came up on the truck and ended up hitting him and killing him. All right, this driver. The driver who hit the guy, killed the DPW worker, and then who, by the way, fled for this. The dazzling detail about him is that his name is Teron Claiborne. He had been ticketed for driving with a suspended or revoked license at least 31 times in the last 12 years. Now, let me let that sink in. 31 times in the last 12 years, this guy who ended up killing the DPW worker had been ticketed for driving with a suspended or a revoked license. Now, that's only the times he was ticketed. You know he's probably been driving hundreds, maybe thousands of times, but he's only been ticketed 31 times in 12. He's been ticketed 31 times in 12 years. And through it all, never charged with a crime. This is not a crime. He gets what would happen is he'd be taken to, he'd get a ticket, would just ignore the ticket. Nobody pays these different fines, and then nothing happens. And they catch him, and he's doing it again. And okay, we're going to give you another ticket. Doesn't pay it. It goes on and on and on. And we don't get these chronic offenders off the road. And then finally, what ends up happening is the guy hits and kills somebody. And yeah, now he's going to go to prison for a long time. But at the same time. You know, what's going on? How did we have a system that just tolerates this for year after year after year? Now, State Representative Joe Sanfilippo from New Berlin, he's one of my heroes on this because he's been one of the few legislators who recognizes that this is a huge problem. People just driving and driving and driving and who don't care about getting licensed and don't pay their fines, etc., all right, and this isn't, again, it's not the one person that gets the traffic ticket and maybe falls a little bit behind in making the payment. These are the chronic people who don't give a rat's rump about driver's licenses or anybody else. So what do you do with them? Well, San Filippo, a couple years ago, tried to introduce legislation, which went nowhere, um, saying, you know, if you catch somebody who's driving a car without a license, you know what you do? You take the car. You grab the car and you don't let that person get the car back until they can, number one, show, until number one, they can show that they've got a valid license and that they've got proof of insurance and all that. You take the car. Number two, I would argue that it's time to start treating this as a crime. And I'm not saying necessarily the first time you get caught driving on a suspended driver's license that you should you know, go to prison or be convicted of a crime. But certainly after a few incidents of this, you know, after the third or fourth time when you're caught driving without a valid license or driving on a suspended license, yes, at that point in time, it should be a crime. And if you keep doing it, it should be a felony and you should go to prison. So I would say two things. Number one, take the cars right away. And if somebody else 
uh, is the quote-unquote innocent owner. All right, let them go to court and try to show that, hey, you know, I I didn't know that uh, the guy who was driving my car, he didn't have the permission to do it, or that, um, well, okay, I, I didn't know that his license was suspended or whatever. Take the car as number one. Now, that's not going to solve all the problems because I recognize sometimes these people are driving stolen cars or whatever. And number two, after the first, second, third offense, you give people some breaks, and then you start putting people in jail for doing this. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this too harsh? Is this too harsh? Or is it time to start recognizing that these people who drive repeatedly without licenses, whether suspended, revoked, or never had them, that they are a menace on the roadways and that we're, what we're doing now isn't getting them off the roadways. And so, again, two-pronged approach, take the cars and put them in jail. Is that too hardcore? I would say no, 414-799-1620. And my guess is, my guess is maybe if you've been involved in an automobile collision or something like that, you have experienced the frustration of being hit by someone who is completely and totally at fault, but they're driving without a valid driver's license. Maybe they've never had a driver's license. They clearly don't have insurance, who essentially, they don't care about this system that's set up. The rest of us are probably chumps because we play by the rules. Well, maybe it's time to change those rules to put some teeth into things to penalize the people that put the rest of us at risk. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Yes, you heard me correctly. The guy who hit and killed that DPW worker who was filling potholes in early February, the man had been charged 31 times with driving on a suspended, revoked, no license. 31 times. And nothing happened to him. They give him a ticket, and then they send him on his way, and then he uses the tickets presumably to, I don't know, just, I don't know, wipe his mouth on after he, you know, has fast food or whatever. And so now finally, you know, driving without a license, he hits and kills somebody, and he's going to be going to prison. But, you know, if we had dealt with that guy, maybe... Maybe after the fifth time or the tenth time or the twentieth time, might somebody be alive today? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Sherry in Sheboygan. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Hi. Um, yeah, I I was telling Screener that my in my daughter's age group, the twentieth age group, the they borrow cars. People without license borrow cars. The friend knows that they don't have a license; they're yep. suspended. They give them a vehicle to use, and you know, I told my daughter, I said, if this person has an accident or they do something. I said, this person goes back to the individual who owns the car. And, you know, maybe they don't do the first, they don't, um, they ticket the person and they don't follow up on it because it's a, a nonviolent offense, offense. Right. And you hear so much about, well, the jails are overcrowded. The case logs are backed up. They take the violent offenders and people know this. Yep. The younger people and the older people doing this know this. So they know there's really no... Right, no, con- there's no, right, right, so, right, yeah, they give you a traffic ticket, so, okay, so big deal, you get a $500 ticket, you don't pay it, most of the people who are driving without the licenses, they don't care, but I will tell you, Sherry, you know, if the word got out that, you know, if somebody gets caught driving a vehicle without a license, that vehicle is going to be impounded, and it's going to be seized, and then if the rightful owner, the rightful owner is going to have to come down and prove that, 
well, they didn't know that the person they gave it to, you know, didn't have a license or something like that. I guarantee you it would make people a lot less likely to to share their cars with other people. Is that being done now? No. 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 No, we don't take cars. Absolutely not. No. We don't take cars. I mean, we do need to get the word out. People do need to start forcing whoever makes this law or makes the law. That this happens, so right. yeah, I completely buy it. So thank no, you. No, no, thanks. No, no, no. Like I say, Joe San Filippo, who's a state representative from New Berlin, he tried to introduce legislation back in 2015, which would allow the seizure of the, these vehicles. And again, I I understand that maybe there's a situation where I'm look. If it's a stolen car, that's a different sort of story. But for the people that are borrowing the cars or have the cars themselves, despite the fact that they don't have licenses, but they're continuing to drive, you take those cars, and at least at least it's going to make it more difficult for that person to get back behind the wheel. 414-799-1620. I, I guess it, th- this is something where... I, I understand that there's people who might think they have good reasons for driving without the licenses. And what, what we're really talking about here is we're talking about the chronic offenders but there is this subset of people out there that is that those chronic offenders 43,000 think about this 43,000 people cited in the last three years in Milwaukee alone for driving without a valid license and I mean just just imagine then you think about all the reckless driving you think about all the collisions you wonder why it's not safe on the roads Mike on the northwest side hi Mike you're on WTMJ Mike Mike, Mike, Mike. Okay, let's try Freddie in Milwaukee. Freddie or WTMJ? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, listen, this topic has come up maybe three, four times in the last X number of years. And every time I said I agree with it 100%. But not only that, but if they pull a driver over, and if, if it's for no uh, no license, and they find out that there is – it's not – because – by state law, you're supposed to have a copy of the registration in right. your vehicle, right? And you're also supposed to have proof of insurance, right? And if they don't have either of this stuff, automatically you take the keys, call the hook, and let them take it to the impound lot, and then not give it back to them until after they come no, in to prove they have it, insurance. And if it's not the, the the proper owner, they have to go to claims court in order to get it back from a judge. You got to prove to the judge that you got all this information. Yeah, I, you know, Freddie, I, I think I got to think through. I got to think through how punitive you you want to be because, I, you know, I mean, there, look, there there are. Am I saying that I think every time somebody gets stopped and they don't have like the proof of insurance card or something, that means the car should be impounded? I'm, no, I'm not willing to go that far. But I, I do think we need to. And my my starting point would be. Let us accept that we have a major problem with, again, these chronic people who are driving without licenses. And let's start with targeting them. What can we do? What can we do to maybe deter them or, at the very least, finally get them off the streets? And if that means you, you send them, you, you start making it a crime after the third, you know, after the third occasion, boom, then you go to jail. Now, I understand when you do this, you're going to get all sorts of people. The bleeding hearts are going to say, well, don't you understand that there's some people who just need these cars to get to work, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's this vicious cycle. If they've lost their license, how are they going to be able to pay their fines? They need to be able to drive. Well, then, okay, if that's the argument, let's 
just get rid of driver's licenses. Let anybody drive where, wherever they want. I mean, I think the bottom line is, for the vast majority of us, we play by the rules. And the rules are, are valid. I mean, these rules end up making sense. You have to have a license to, to operate a vehicle. So what you got to do then is for the people who aren't playing by the rules, you have to tailor punishments that are sufficient to deter them from that, to punish them from that, and to maybe make it more difficult to do it. And to your point, Freddie, I, I, I can't think of a better starting point to get people off the street than to say, okay, you know, if you're driving without a license as a starting point, boom, you know, we're going we're gonna to impound that car. We're going to impound that car, and maybe that then makes the friend a little less likely to lend you that vehicle to drive in the first place. 414-799-1620. Dan in Menominee Falls. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Dan. Uh, This is about a 30-year-ago thing that happened. Okay. Um, I lived in Germantown, and and back then Germantown was kind of small, you know, not built up like it is now. I had approximately... Four, five um, pullovers with without my license, okay. and it was nothing major, nothing major. Like I had no plates or something like that, and I just kept on driving without my license. Then, right? I go to court. I go to court, and I was sentenced to seven months. Seven months, I had to sit. Okay, In I the... got on Huber, but you know, I still had to sit seven months. My guess is you didn't drive without a license any again, did you? <laughs> No, not no, not no more. Well, that yeah. was thirty years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But I guess that's the. I'm, I mean, thanks. I mean, I guess that that's the point, and th- that there has to be penalties for it. Because look, I, I understand people are going to continue driving. There's this tendency: we want to drive without. We want to drive with a suspended license. It's too much trouble. I don't want to figure out how to get around. Or then you've got the chronic people uh, again, like this guy, thirty-one times in twelve years. And if, as I said, if he's caught thirty-one times. You you know darn well it's been hundreds, if not thousands, of times, and and sooner or later one of those people ends up. You know you're driving without the license and you hit and kill somebody. All right, and so yeah, then you're going to go to prison. But do we have to wait? Why should we have to wait that that long for this to happen? And again, it's it's one of my frustrations about this because the rest of us are out there playing by the rules and you it's not a victimless crime that's just the truth people driving without a victim without a licenses it's not a victimless crime because like i say you look at these numbers one in five fight fatal crashes involves at least one driver who is not validly licensed that that should be a pretty good warning sign that you know you wonder who is it who is that person that blew through the red light at 85 miles an hour you know driving the stolen car, etc. Oh, they don't have a driver's license. Oh, no surprise there. Drivers without licenses, nine times more likely to leave the scene of a crash. What does that tell you? Well, one of the things it tells me is it's time to get these people off the streets. And why we, let's see, what word could I use? Why we mollycoddle. How do you like that? Why we mollycoddle these people that are putting you and me at risk is just absolutely and totally beyond me. All right, we're going to switch gears when we come back. How big is too big when it comes to the American flag? 3% bump, is that enough to get you to live in the city of Milwaukee? And what's going on with the president? All that's coming up. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. I think they should change the rule. Here's the story. If you, and, and by way of background, let me back into this. If you have driven north on 43, um, heading towards Green Bay, for instance, right as you get to the Sockville exit, you will see there, there's, a, there's a business there. It's called Camping World. Now, I've only been into Camping World once or twice. They, they, they sponsored, back when we used to do these summer promotions, the free rides, Camping World would sponsor it. And Actually, Camping World's a kind of cool place. You go into Camping World, if, if they don't have it at Camping World, you don't need it. Okay, I was really impressed by the store. But the thing that at Camping World, they also they sell RVs, right, recreational vehicles. The thing that really calls attention and why you might know that this is a Camping World and an RV dealer is they have an enormous – American flag, which they fly. I don't know how large the flag is, but I guess it's kind of similar in size to the one that we're going to be talking about. I mean, my guess is it it might be like 3,200 square feet, just absolutely enormous. And this is these large flags. They are kind of a, a tradition at different camping world locations across the country. That's one of the big things. They have the giant flags that are out there. And this is not necessarily uncommon. If you think about auto dealers, for example, think about auto dealers around our area. There are a number of them that have enormous American flags that they fly. And as near as I can tell, these these large American flags have never caused a, a problem. They, they, they just have it. Now, I bring this up because there's a city in North Carolina. It's called Statesville, North Carolina. They have a rule. They have an ordinance that says flags um, over 1,000 square feet can't, can't be displayed. All right, that's, that's the rule. Well, all right, they've also got a camping world, you know, one of these RV dealers. And the RV dealer says, well, no, look, I... We, we fly big American flags. And so the RV dealer is flying this flag that's 40 by 80. It's 3,200 square feet. It is three times as large as is allowed under the ordinance. So <clears throat> the Common Council says, hey, th- we've got this ordinance here. The flag is too big. You've got to take down your large flag. The owner of the camping world says, nuts to you. I'm not taking this down. We fly these large American flags. I'm proud to be, you know, I'm proud to be in an, an American. This is one of the things. This is something that is typical of what we do at our businesses. We fly flags this size at other locations across the country. You know, we're not going to take it down. The city says, well, no, we've got this ordinance, and, and you, have to, you, you have to comply with the ordinance. The owner says, no, I'm not going to. So what's going on now is the city has decided, well, we're going to go back, and now we're going to fine you, and we're going to fine you $50 a day going back to October of last year for flying this large flag um, in derogation of our ordinance. So the guy at Camping World, he said, well, look, here, here's the bottom line. You should just change the ordinance. 
There's, what What is the harm of me flying this large flag? We do it at other Camping World businesses all across the country. And like I say, my guess is the one that's being flown up in Sockville is probably similar to the size of the one that they're you know flying here in Statesville, North Carolina. My guess is it's probably smaller than the one that, for example, Acuity Insurance flies as you're driving, um, you know, again, north on, on 43. But the, there's this impasse now. Guy at Camping World is saying, I'm not taking down this flag. Statesville, North Carolina is saying, we're not changing the ordinance to allow you to fly a large flag, and we're going to fine you. Our numbers, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think my take on this is, and, and I understand the rule says you can't do it, but to me, I think this is an ill-considered rule, and I think... The Common Council needs to consider changing the law to allow this guy to fly the large flag at his display. When I've seen these large flags before, it doesn't seem to create a problem. Should he be able to fly the oversized American flag? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer would, would be yes because I don't think there's a problem. And it's not just because it's an American flag, but it is an American flag, and that I think it maybe gives a little bit added weight to this. But if the business wants to fly a huge flag, why does the Common Council care? The flag they have up at Acuity Insurance doesn't create a problem. The flag that the Camping World uh, has in, in Sockville, I don't think it creates a problem. The giant flags you see at various auto dealers around our area don't create a problem. Why should this one create a problem? 414-799-1620. I'm with the Camping World guy here, and interestingly enough, he says, find me, do what you want. I'm not taking it down. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And candidly, I mean, I, I can't believe that there's anybody in the community that would complain about the, I think we complain about the flags. All right, before we take a break, let me go up to Sockville. Kim in Sockville. Kim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, so you know that giant flag I'm talking about, obviously. I'm, you know, I, I work at Walmart in the pharmacy, and I'm looking at the flag as I'm having my lunch in my car. Okay. It's, it's a gorgeous, windy day. It's flying, going east. It's amazing. And um, I love looking at it, and I love thinking about what it stands for. And I think it's kind of un-American to not want a large flag. Well, right, and I, I guess I don't understand the reason that the reason not to have it because it doesn't create a distraction. I mean, right. I, I don't hear stories about people, you know, who get so who get so lost in thought looking at the flag that they're driving off the they're driving off the freeway and creating accidents. Exactly. No. I mean, it's not interfering with anything. It's not killing any birds, as far as I can tell. You right. know, like some of those big turbines. It's just there, so what's the big deal? I mean, it, it really breaks up the skyline, and it's beautiful. Yes. Okay, so, Kim, you are sitting You are sitting in the Walmart parking lot having your lunch and listening to this program? Yes, I am. I love you, Kim. Thank you. That's Thank the kind you. of listener. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Okay. Uh, yeah, you as well. Outstanding. See? Now, that's dedicated listeners. I, I appreciate it. And she happens to be looking at the flag similar to what I am talking about. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with more in just a moment. 414-799-1620. Again, I understand they've got the ordinance on the books, but to me, 
You make an exception. You change the ordinance. I don't see this as being this big a deal, and I certainly don't see that large flag as being a nuisance. We continue the conversation in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. The owner of Camping World says that there are flags this size, kind of like the one that's flying up at the outside the Camping World in Saukville now, that are flying in 180 different cities across the country. He says, look, here's our position. As, as long as the American flag isn't creating a safety hazard or interfering with airspace, there shouldn't be a limit on the display size. And, you know, we're willing to we're willing to go to court. We're going to challenge. We're going to claim we should have an absolute right to do it. I just don't think it should come to that. I, I just for large American flags, I don't understand why this particular common council would try to create this to be an issue. Jim in West Bend. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How Hi, are Jim. you this morning? Good. This afternoon. What do you think? Hey, um, I think the ordinance is fine, but I think they all should allow for exceptions. And yep. All they have to do in the ordinance is say uh, exceptions may be granted uh, with special approval prior to yep. flying the flag uh, by the common council. In this way, the Common Council can distinguish what's appropriate or what, what might not be, what may be interference publicly, and what might not be. It just, that just makes sense to me. Yeah, kind of like, you know, kind of like village boards or city boards give variances from time to time. You know, they've got a rule that says that the fence that the fence can only extend X number of feet down the property line, but you have a circumstance where, you know, everybody agrees it's not a problem, so you let the fence extend six feet further down because it's not an issue, right? Yeah, it removes all the controversy for for the most part. No, thanks. And I see, and again, that's... I mean, my bottom line is I don't understand. The city has actually sued Camping World. You know, they're they're trying to, you know, have a court order an injunction to make them take it down. And actually, the guy says, I'm not going to do that. You can put me in jail or or whatever. I, I, I just don't think it should come to that. Now, if there's a situation where the flag is too big for the location or they want to argue that it's causing, uh, again, a hazard or something like that. And I could theoretically understand where you could come up with a situation where, yeah, that's an inappropriate place for it. But I don't think that's the case here. They're not arguing. The Common Council is not arguing that, oh, this is, we're afraid this is going to cause accidents or nothing or anything. It's just these are the rules and this guy's in violation of the rules. And, and boom, we're not going to make an exception for this. Jim in Menominee Falls. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Yeah. Hi. Uh- Hi, Jim. Uh, my question, and, and I, I'm not sure, I think you answered it already, was whether the, the they enacted that ordinance after the flag was already flying. No, 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 I think, I, yeah, no, I think the ordinance has been there. I'm not sure, I, I, I don't know, I don't know if the guy was flying the flag for a while and nobody tried to enforce it, you know, but the ordinance, I think, has been on mm-hmm. the books for a while. It's just nobody's cared about the flag until recently. Right. Well, unless it's uh, obstructing a view of something, you know, it's a it's a signature part of their business. Besides being America, and you should be able to fly the flag. 
Yeah, you know it. Uh, it so. No, it is. I mean, that, I mean, thanks. For, I mean, like I said earlier, that that's how you know, <laughs> you, you know that you you know that you've got that that you see that giant flag out at the Sockville location. You know, as you're driving on the freeway, you know, you know that that's that camping world and that, that the location is there. So there there is a commercial element to it as well. Now, I mean, look, I think communities ha- have every right to set limits on on signage and and things like that. In this particular case, though, it's an American flag and. I think this is one where rather than suing the operator and say, okay, we're going to try to fine you unless there is a really compelling argument besides, well, rules are rules. This is one where reasonable people sit down and they say, you know what, we're thrilled to have that flag that's up there. We've got this ordinance, but we're going to give you a variance just like we gave the other guy the variance to let his fence run six further feet down the property line, or just like we gave somebody else the variance to let them put their air conditioner on the side of the house as opposed to the back of the house. This is one that it should not be in court. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. So I was at this event last night, and one of the people I was with said, well, I'm glad the city of Milwaukee finally woke up and recognized that they can't afford to keep expanding that streetcar. And he was referring to a headline that appeared in the local paper about how the, the streetcar the expansion had been tabled. And I said, no, no, no. So you, you have to read the article in detail. Because what the article says is that essentially you have a couple aldermen. And, and it's not that they're opposed to spending the money on the streetcar. It's really that they want more. I mean, they're, they're at the table. It's like, well, okay, why? It's not do we oppose extending it. It's we want to extend it further. Why aren't you taking it further into the near south side? Then you're planning to take it further into the north side. Why are they getting more resources? You know, we we want more money, more, more, more. So it's not like aldermen are uh, deciding, no, we won't want it. If anything, they're saying, hey, we want to be more aggressive. Bring it out to us, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, nobody has a good answer for where the millions of dollars come from. But essentially what's going on now is you've got a couple other aldermen who are essentially trying to hold the process hostage because they want a bigger cut of their pie. Well, interestingly enough, one of the questions that was raised at this hearing the other day was somebody said, well, you, you want to run the streetcar, you want to run the trolley down to that to the Deer District. You know, you want to take it past Fiserv, and that's, that's all this area controlled by the Bucks. And, you know, it's going to benefit if, if you believe that people are going to flock to it, et cetera, et cetera. This would be giving a huge benefit to, uh, again, the, the Bucks in that area. So the question obviously was, have you talked to, this was to the city, have you talked to the Bucks about maybe getting on, on board and, I don't know, coming up with a few million dollars if you want to do the, the expansion of this? And interestingly, the uh, guy from the city who's responsible for this said, well, we've had discussions over the potential for their involvement in the project, not specific to the full cost of any extension, but certainly for their involvement. Those are ongoing discussions. Huh. Well, maybe maybe that's a question that, you know, should be the subject of at least some idea. You know, if the Bucks want it, you think it's going to be good, maybe they should pick up the tab for it. The Business Journal reports that the Bucks responded to an inquiry with an email statement saying, we have had several conversations and are supportive of the continual expansion. However, we have not discussed specifics. 
Now that that that's now, look, these guys didn't get to be billionaires by giving away their money on frivolous projects. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, we've we've talked to them, but you know we we haven't uh, made any sort of commitment about that. We have not discussed specifics. Well, my question would be, why not? I mean, what? Why haven't they said, hey, if you know we we need fifteen million dollars to run this little extension here? Wh- how about it? Give us the dough. I mean, I think that would be a reasonable question to ask, but that's just me. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I don't think 3%, a 3% raise is enough to get you to live in the city of Milwaukee if you otherwise don't want to. Here's, here's the story. Back in 2013, the legislature changed state law. And what it did is it prohibited the city of Milwaukee from having a residency requirement. The city of Milwaukee was one of only a handful of municipalities in the state that required city employees to live within the boundaries of the city. That was a very, very rare thing, and it created you know huge issues. And so ultimately, the uh, the legislature did away with residency requirements. This was challenged. It ended up being upheld in court. So now you have a rule that says if you live in the city of Milwaukee, if you work for the city of Milwaukee, you can live anywhere you want. And particularly with fire and police officers, but also with other employees as well, they have decided to exercise their rights and they've decided to live outside the city. All right. City doesn't like that. And I, I get it. They like the idea that their employees, you know, stay and they live in the city, etc., etc. Et but law says that's not the case. So here's what the Common Council wants to do. And we're we're talking about employees other than firefighters and police officers because they're governed by a second by a separate collective bargaining agreement. So th- this isn't this isn't cops. It's not firefighters, but it's all the other city employees. What they are looking at doing is creating a two tiered wage system for city employees. One group would be the people who live outside the city. The second group would be the people that live inside the city. And if you live inside the city, you would get a 3% pay increase. 3%. So let's translate this. Let's say you've got a job and you're making 50 grand a year working for the city. For the sake of argument, if you live in the city, you would get a $1,500 pay raise. So you'd be making 51000 as opposed to 50000 Whereas if you lived outside the city, you would not get that, that pay raise. All right? And the idea is we want to provide an incentive for people to live in the city. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me be real clear here. I mean, if, if the city of Milwaukee decides it's got enough money that it wants to give raises to city employees, my my, my response would be go with God. That That's fine. If the idea, though, is we are trying to incentivize people to live in the city, in the real world, my argument would be a 3% pay raise. Or, you know, in, in my example, you're making 50 grand, so you get an extra $1,500, which is nothing to sneeze at. But I, I just don't think that's enough to accomplish the, the goal. I mean, why is it? And this goes back to the fundamental reason of why people choose to live outside the city. You know, we've talked about this before, but, you know, why is it? Because maybe you've got a better tax structure 
You know, maybe it's you, you want to move out of the city to get away from the taxes. A lot of people, I think, move out of the city because they don't want to send their kids to MPS. I mean, that's just the reality. Some people don't like to hear that, but I think that that's one of the things that, that's going on. Another factor why people decide that they want to leave the city is because, you know, they're concerned with the crime rate in certain areas of the city. Bottom line of all this is, and I understand the city's goal, we want to try to, you know, we'd like to have more city employees live in the city. I get it. I just don't think a 3% pay raise is enough to create anybody. I mean, it's it's kind of like, okay, you and your, your spouse, let's say you've, Let's say you, you've, you got married five or six years ago. We'll take the example of a male, uh, city employee. And, you know, you got married a couple of years ago. Your kid is four years old. You're starting to make school choices for him. You don't want to send him to MPS. Well, $1,500 or, or $2,000 more is a raise. I don't think that's going to be an incentive to say, Oh, okay, we're, you know, we're going to send the kid to MPS. Is this going to work? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I think if the incentive, if you want to try to incentivize this, you got to come up with bigger incentives. And I'm not sure cash payments are the way to do it because, quite frankly, you know, my guess is by moving out into, depending what suburb you go to, my guess is you, you might even more than make that fifteen hundred bucks up. In my example, it's three percent by the, you know, by lowering your taxes. I, I mean, really, you you move outside of Milwaukee County, for example, your your taxes and fees, as a general rule, on a similarly sized or priced piece of property, are, are going to go down. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is. Will this accomplish the goal, Darren? Downtown, Darren, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. hi yeah, um, I think uh, you know I didn't like that they lifted residency requirement right. because uh, I, I just thought it was always good that. Uh, People lived in where they work. It was, right. you know, I mean, police officers are compensated well, and I respect police. Um, but uh, I mean, unfortunately, it is law because right. I mean, it was this is the the payback that that uh, right. Walker gave the unions yeah. because they endorsed them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the ship has sailed. Is a three percent bump enough to no. keep people? Or, or right. Okay. Of course, it's not enough. I mean, to live in Milwaukee, who would? I mean, you know what Milwaukee's like. I mean. Yeah. Okay. Right. Again, th- no, no. Thanks for calling. Again, this is right. Again, again. Regardless about how you feel about lifting residency, I, I guess I, I just if, see if I'm on the Common Council, and if my goal is okay, we want to create this two tiered pay system or or whatever, or we want to do something to incentivize having people live in the city. I, that that's fine. Um, but a 3% raise seems to be to be minimal. Um, here's the text. Jeff, as a Milwaukee police officer, I'll make that 3% in one week of summer overtime. <laughs> you know, and, and again, this, the, 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 the police and the firefighters are on a, on a different, they've got negotiations coming up. This is for everybody else. But yeah, that's the point. His point, hey, I'm, I'm a police officer. If I, if I want to live in West Dallas or I want to live in Mequon or I want to live, you know, in, in Brookfield or whatever, you know, you know, 3%, that's a week of overtime. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I guess I just think this is this is spinning your wheels. Now, maybe there are things that you could do to incentivize to really make it worth it. But if, if my premise is right, that the reason why people leave is because of schools and it's because of crime, it's because of high property taxes, 
you know, fifteen hundred dollars on a fifty thousand dollar a year salary, or three thousand dollars on a hundred thousand dollar salary, that that's not enough to make you you know avoid those lifestyle changes. Dave in Waukesha, Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think about this? <laughs> I think it's silly, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I mean, do the simple math. I mean, you could if you move back, if you were living in one of the suburbs, you know, whatever, right? Necron, wherever, whatnot. You're going to wind up losing more just in taxes alone, right. much less you know, much less property appreciation. So I mean, in the long and the you know, the long and the short of it is, it's it's going to wind up a net negative, really. Well, well, because you're going to have to come up with the money to pay that extra three percent. You're probably going to create a little resentment because you have the two tiered thing, and and not one person is going to refuse to leave the city. You know, if, if all these other factors come into place, and probably not one person that's living in West Dallas is going to suddenly say, "Okay, now I'm going to move back into the city of Milwaukee simply to get you know an extra couple percent." Well, I mean, that, you know, that and, again, take away all the lifestyle stuff. You know, again, the schools. Right. Take away, take away all that. Just pure mechanics as far as uh, property values and right. things like that. I mean, really, where do you gain? I mean, right. it, it's kind of like, it's like a no-win deal. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, just, I mean, no, thanks for calling. I mean, just, just okay, let you, let, let's take an example of the city employee who's moved out of the city, and, and let's say they've moved to Brookfield. In, in this example, okay, let, let's just start off, okay, because if you if you register a vehicle, what you've got the you know extra twenty dollars to register the vehicle in the city of Milwaukee, and then an extra twenty dollars or, or whatever the wheel tax is in in uh, Milwaukee County. So I mean, okay, there there's forty or fifty bucks just just right there, <laughs> you know. Not not to mention then the the different property taxes and things like that. Here's a text, Jeff. Three percent means nothing to me. Fix the out of control crime and the failing school system and maybe i would choose to live there i mean see that's this is putting i mean it's putting a band-aid on a on a gaping wound and this is the thing that i've been saying all along i oppose residency requirements on principle but i mean i i understand that reasonable people can disagree about it but you know i think that the fundamental issue isn't gee should we force our employees to live here but it's boy we should make it so attractive for people that they want to live here. And that's what I think the city of Milwaukee's never grasped. Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? You know, I, think it, I think it's a start, but I, I think they need to add a tax incentive. They do this for businesses who are here and also businesses they want to move to the, to the, to the, mm-hmm. to the county or the city. And I think that's what they need to do in order to give, give property tax incentives and things of that sort. In Washington, D.C., they do the same thing. The people who live outside, like in Virginia and whatever, and work into the city, they, what they do is that they, they, there's a penalty for that. And so, yeah, I think there should be a penalty for those people who are, are, are city employees and live outside of the city. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, I think it needs to be more, 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 more based on a, a tax basis than other than 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 uh, just, just an extra fifteen. Thanks, for, just an extra fifteen hundred dollars a year. In my example, the person that makes fifty grand. Well, I mean, what some cities do is they they give. They give big time. They give big time incentives. Um, incentivize in certain neighborhoods where they have city-owned property or whatever to try to encourage like public employees to live there. And and if somebody wants to float a plan like that, I am more than willing to discuss it. I guess I just saw this, and you know we're going to be giving a three percent raise and creating the separate salary structure. 
I just don't see it accomplishing anything at all because it's just flat out not enough money to make somebody decide, oh, all of a sudden I'm going to send my kids to MPS when I've decided I don't want to send my kids to MPS or whatever. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, let me connect the dots on something. There, the, the governor of the state of Wisconsin and a number of his Democrat allies, what they want to do is they want to change the law that says that you would automatically be registered to vote when you receive or, your, or renew your driver's license or state ID card. All right, so automatic voter registration. Right when you when you get the driver's license, most states don't do this. There's a hand. There's actually 15 states that do this in one form or another. And you got Democrats in the legislature who want to say you're automatically registered to vote once you renew your driver's license or obtain your driver's license. Now I think the bill's a non-starter for a couple reasons. First, in Wisconsin we have a very very liberal small L. Uh, policy for voter registration you can you can online you can register to vote online now also we do something that a lot of states don't do that has always given me heartburn when it comes to voter fraud much more so than the voter id but it's we have same day registration so there's really many 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 states don't allow same day registration and the, the reason the reason they don't is because somebody can come in, they can cast a vote, and you have no way of knowing for sure in a limited period of time because they've registered and then they're going to vote whether you know they've given you a vacant lot at, as an address. But we, we, we've made the decision that in an effort to make it easier for people to vote, we're going to have same-day registration, and that's fine. And now we're going to have online voter registration. So I, I think in general – I agree with people who say that that this is a solution that's in you know big search of of a problem, and there's no need to go to this. You're automatically registered once you get your driver's license. But let me connect the dots on this. And far be it from me to be a cynic, but keep in mind that the same governor and many of the same people in the legislature who are pushing for you're automatically registered to vote. Once you get your driver's license, what else are they also pushing hard for? Oh, yes, driver's licenses for people who are illegally in the country. Now, I understand. I, I, I say that, and there's people, oh, Jeff, you don't, that, that's, there's, there's no connection between the, the two of this, and, and we'll have all these checks and balances to make sure that somebody who's in this country illegally that we're going to give a driver's license to, we'll make sure that there's all these checks and balances that that person doesn't automatically get registered to vote. And, and maybe that'll be the case, maybe it won't. But if you don't think there is a connection between let's have automatic registration and, you know, based on driver's licenses, and then let's start giving driver's licenses to people who are illegally in the country. If you don't think that there's at least not in the back of some people's mind this idea that, well, maybe we're going to expand the voting rolls in that fashion, again, Maybe I'm just being a little bit cynical about this, but the same people that are pushing one idea are also pushing the other. Again, I, I think it's it's pretty much of a non-starter. I, I think it makes more sense to me, especially with same-day registration, to say, all right, you get your driver's license, and then you also register to vote, and we don't commingle the two. But that's just me. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eric, Bill said, I love that forecast, 60s and 70s this evening. I, 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 have, I, fi- I formulated my plan before the Bucks game. I'm, I'm going to go home, and it's, maybe you can tell I'm, I'm fighting this cold. Yeah. My wife feels guilty because she gave me the cold. And and see, this this is the thing. Her colds last like two days. When I get them, it's a week. You know, I mean, so it's she gave me the cold. We we don't dispute that. So she's now feeling kind of guilty. And she's like, oh, you know, you've got to deal with that. So she she will want to pamper me. So I think I'm going home. And this this sounds like a great night to um, sit down with. Um, whatever one's favorite cocktail is, mm-hmm. maybe, oh, maybe yeah. we were talking about Jack Daniel's bourbon whiskey. Maybe you know, Could pour myself a that, glass yeah. of that, sit out on the patio, and then just kind of just relax. It's been a long time coming. I'm I thinking of doing I that. It. Last a, night was awesome. I think we've yeah. I was except it started to. I was at this this event, this Did party. You I was telling you, not it. It just it sprinkled. You know, so it wasn't enough. It wasn't raining heavy enough that we had to. We all we ate outside and stuff. Um, and then it started raining heavier later on in the mm. night and stuff. Yeah. I got up and took the dog out late at night, and it was raining like heck. But <laughs> <clears throat> that's okay. When you got to go, you got to go. Right. So I I understand that. Yeah, I'm thinking tonight might be a tonight might be a porch night with a glass of your favorite libation, waiting for the Bucks game to kick off. Okay, sometimes you just outgrow your situation, and you have to move on. And I'm not talking about, you know, Eric Bolstadt or anything like that. I'm certainly not talking about my producer, Gru. No, you have not outgrown me yet. Do not move on. I am talking about the University of St. Thomas. Okay, what is the University of St. Thomas? Well, there is a thing, and I'm willing to bet that many of you have never were never, ever aware that there was a thing called the, is a thing, called the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, MIAC. 13 member schools, and these are all private colleges and universities all within the the state of Minnesota, most of whom appear to be, I think, in the the eastern portion of, of the state. But but this is this is what the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference consists of. Augsburg University, Bethel University, Carleton College, Concordia College, Gustavus Adolphus College, Hamlin University, McAllister College, College of St. Benedict, St. Catherine University, St. John's University, St. Mary's University, St. Olaf College, this would be St. Olaf in Minnesota, and the University of St. Thomas. The average enrollment at these various colleges or universities, the average enrollment is 2,200 students. Right, so these are these are small colleges and or universities. The University of St. Thomas is is the outlier because the school is is about triple. I mean, they've got about sixty two hundred students, so they are triple in size, the average size of all the other schools in this conference. For whatever reason, and, and partly I think maybe due to the increased size. These schools, they all compete against each other, you know, in, in athletic competitions, football, basketball, etc., etc. The University of St. Thomas has become a dominant force in this conference to the point that um, there's this thing they call the all-sports trophy, which is, you know, the, out, the, the most successful sports program among these schools. And they've won it in both men's and women's sports each of the past 12 years 
Um, in sports like football, for example, this this school, University of St. Thomas, just dominates all the other schools. For for example, um, the football team in the last two years has gone fourteen and two against other schools in the conference, an average margin of victory of forty nine points. So they're just they're just crushing all the competition. The uh, school, the team recorded victories of 68 to nothing, 62 to nothing, and 60 to nothing last season. They had wins of 97 to nothing and 84 to nothing two years ago. So they, they've got this, this massive domination in part, and I'm sure they've got a good athletic program, and I don't mean to knock that, but in part for because they have three times as many, uh, the, the student bodies triple the size of most of the other student bodies. So here's what's happened. They have now been tossed out of this conference. The, the other members of the conference got together, and, and th- by the way, this University of St. Thomas is one of the founding members of this conference. They, they've been around forever, but they, they got together, uh, the conference got together and they said, this team is too good for the conference and the other teams can't compete against it. And so we're going to toss you out. So they have been involuntary, involuntar- involuntarily removed because, you know, they're too good. They're, they're winning by too large margins. The other teams can't compete. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I think this raises this fascinating issue. You know, a lot of times we, we talk about, like, mercy rules in sports, and you'll have the story about the one high school basketball team that's playing in the conference, and they, they win 94-5 to over some opponent, and then they get accused of running up the score and things like that. All right, here's a situation where the member schools in this conference have decided, you know, th- this school is too good, and all the rest of the schools are non-competitive. So the response is, we're going to boot the school out that's too good, and they now have to go and find, you know, their own place to play. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is the conference doing the right thing? Is this the way to approach it, to say, you're too good, go find somewhere else to play? Or I guess the flip side would be, is is the challenge to all the other schools to say, you got to get better. 414-799-1620 should the University of St. Thomas have been involuntarily tossed out of this athletic conference because they won too much. 414-799-1620, how do you react to that? My answer, well, I'll give you my answer right after the break. But 414-799-1620, what do you think about this? Are we penalizing a team for being too successful? And is that fair? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Let me share a couple emails before we start taking calls. St. Thomas, I think it's wrong to penalize a team. This is a text. Uh, I think it's wrong to penalize a team for being too good. They should be praised. Here's another one. I don't think they should be booted, but is this even fun for the team blowing out all these other teams? Maybe they would actually welcome a challenge. That way they can improve to further a professional career. 
uh, Jeff, it's unfair that they got the boot. Um, other teams need to practice and compete harder. Kids learn to play. They aren't born with a football in their hand. It is a learned skill. Jeff, I disagree that the college should be involuntarily kicked out. Um, all right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. With all due respect to our first couple call uh, texters, I, I disagree. And, and here's here, here is here's why. I think, you know, there's a reason why, for example, the University of Wisconsin plays in the Big Ten Conference as opposed to playing in, I don't know, the Wisconsin equivalent of, of this particular of this, this particular conference. Um, you, you have, in this case, a school which is three times as large as the other schools. So they have more players to draw from. They have more potential students to draw from. And I understand that you only put five kids out on a basketball court at the same time or whatever, but it's one of the reasons in Wisconsin, for example, in high school sports, you break down the schools, you know, and they compete against schools of similar sizes. In this particular case, it appears that the one school has kind of outgrown the other schools. And, yeah, I think they end up having an unfair advantage and i'm not one of these guys that says hey you know that there's something wrong with with winning 84 to nothing i mean okay if you're going to compete against each other at that level i mean i think you have every right to play hard from the beginning till the end but the question becomes all right where is the where is the competition you don't have big 10 basketball schools it would be like university of wisconsin deciding again we're going to get into a conference with i don't know some school that has a, a population of 4000 of of 400 or 600 kids it's because of the size differences changes the dynamic john in plymouth john you're on wtmj yeah i totally agree with you because that's the size difference of the school is why they're so much better. They have better kids to choose from. So, or at least they have they're... more kids to choose from. You know, yeah, you, you've got you've got this whole you've got a much larger group of people that you can choose to put on the basketball team than the school that's got two thousand. Yeah, yeah, I see no problem with it at all. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. Again, I guess I don't see this as I don't see this as dumbing down things. I don't see this as I mean, on the one hand, you want to say okay that that. Is this an inspiration for the other teams to get better? Yeah, it is. But if you're, if one of these other schools has an enrollment of fifteen hundred, say, or or eighteen hundred kids, and you're competing against a school that is three or four times larger, and they're drawing more and more kids, as a practical matter, you're, you're probably never going to be able to to compete. And it, it's not. I, I mean, I don't fault the University of St. Thomas for accomplishing this, but I, I think sometimes. You outgrow these situations, and what? Where if you're trying to inspire competition, if you've got you know one school that because in part because of its size, it, it's going to be winning sixty and seventy and eighty to nothing, and it's always going to be doing that. Well, maybe it's time to say to them, okay, move, move on and find somebody you know find somebody your own size. And I guess I don't think that that's dumbing down the competition. Bill in Greenbush, Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. Thanks for talking to me. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. I don't think this really has anything to do with the size of the school, wins or losses. This is about the bylaws of the conference. If the conference allows you know, themselves to vote somebody in or out of a conference for any reason at all, so be it. And if you don't like it, change the bylaws. 
Well, right, and they they did get together. I mean, thanks to call, they did get together and they did vote them out. And they voted them out because, again, they thought that they were just too good. They had the right to do it, but as I often talk about, the question is, did they do the right thing, Jeff? Those schools and coaches need to step up and have their teams practice harder, giving them confidence and playing better. Okay, well, if, if you think that's the answer, then the bigger question would be, let's look at the way we have Wisconsin high schools that are divided. All right. Is it fair? I mean, I don't know how many different divisions there are in Wisconsin high schools, but they're based on size. And is it fair then to take, let's see, a school that has a population uh, uh, that has an enrollment of 500 and say, you know, now we're going to have you competing in the same conference as a school that has 4,000 kids. Well, how do you think that that's going to turn out? Now, I, I understand that, you know, maybe there might be some aberration sometime, but, but day in, day out, when you're drawing on a, a school population of 500 to field various teams versus a school population of 4,000, the school that's going to have 4,000 is going to have more athletes, they're going to have more people to choose from, and pretty soon it's not going to be a competitive situation. Can lightning strike every once in a while? Yeah, I saw the movie Hoosiers. I, I mean, I get that that can happen from time to time, but day in, day out, the bigger schools because they are able to draw more people and have more athletes and are able to draw more from the student body, they're, they're going to dominate. Now, there might be an exception here and there, but in general, I, I think that there's a reason why they have this stuff based on size, and it's not professional sports. You know, professional sports would be a different sort of dialogue. If we were saying, well, you know, should they toss the New York Yankees or should they toss the Chicago Cubs or should you toss the Los Angeles Dodgers out of baseball because they're too good? Well, that's a different story because it's professional. This isn't pros. This is a college team, which give them all the credit in the world. They've made themselves good, but they've made themselves too good for the competition that they are playing against. Again, in part, at least in my opinion, because they're so much bigger than these other schools. And, and yeah, I, I think just for the overall competitive balance, I think maybe it's time for them to move on. We're back in just a minute. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, here's the story, and I, let me give a little bit of a disclaimer to you. If you are a dog lover, you, you might you might find this a little bit difficult to take, but, but here's the story. There is this lady in Virginia who passed away, right, as a condition of her will, as a condition of her will, her pet dog was to be euthanized, and the dog was to be buried with her. So the, the dog the dog is, is healthy. Right? So here's the way the story reads. Okay, the, the will says um, the dog is, the healthy dog is supposed to be euthanized so it could be buried with her as part of her last will and testament. Um, the dog was brought to the Chesterfield Animal Shelter on March 8th after her unidentified owner was found dead in her home early that day. All right, what happens is, several days later, the executor of the owner's estate, person responsible for doing this, arrives at the shelter to retrieve the dog after being left with explicit instructions that the dog be euthanized and laid to rest with the dead woman. All right, so they come in, 
and the, the people at the you know at the shelter say, look, sign the dog over to us. Um, we could easily find a, a new home for this dog, despite multiple pleas by the shelter staff to rehome the dog. Ultimately, the executor of this woman's estate is able to retrieve the dog. The dog was reportedly taken to a local vet's office where it was euthanized. The remains were cremated, placed in an urn, and returned to the legal owner of the woman's property. And presumably, the the dog was then the remains of the dog were then buried with the remains of the woman. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I understand that this we get into like legal issues about, you know, our our, our pets property. Do you treat uh, do you treat a pet in the same fashion as you would treat a piece of lawn furniture or things like that? I want that lawn furniture to go to my, you know, cousin Brucey or, or whatever. But in this particular situation, the woman's will said, hey, I, I want my dog euthanized and I want him or her buried with me. And the executor of the state, a state, went out and did that, retrieved the dog, and then had a vet euthanize a healthy animal. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, should something like this be allowed? Should this be allowed? Now, it happened. The authorities are investigating this to determine if there's you know, some sort of crime that has been committed. And, of course, part of this problem starts with this woman who decides that, hey, if I pass away, I want my perfectly healthy pet to be euthanized so that pet can be buried with me. So I understand that that's kind of where this starts. But after this lady passes away, should these wishes have been respected? Should a vet have euthanized a perfectly healthy dog? Should the executor of the woman's estate have done this? And, you know, maybe should the shelter have ultimately refused to give up the dog? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I will tell you something. I, I, I don't know where the breakdown comes in, but I think this is horrendous. I think it's absolutely horrendous. First of all, that a pet owner would say, okay, well, I want my pet killed, you know, after I pass away. That, that's number one, that's horrendous. Number two, that this, this is allowed to happen when you have, in this case, people at the shelter are saying, we can find a home for this dog. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this seem right to you? And my answer would be no. It's wrong, at least in my opinion, on so many levels. We discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620. And how, how would you react in a situation like this if, for example, you know, you have a family member or you have a friend and you know that friend has a, has a pet and you find out that, oh, that person's passed away and now they want that pet killed. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This is a text from Mark. He says, if I were in this awful situation, what I would do is have the person cremated, hold a formal funeral, then hold on to the owner's remains and care for the dog until it passed away, then have the dog cremated and buried the two together when the time came. There is no way in the world, if I was an executor of a state, 
that I could follow through on a request or an instruction that says that you take a healthy dog and that you put that dog down so the dog can be buried with the owner. Now, after the dog expires at the end of the dog's life, that's a different story. 414-799-1620, Mike in Fox Point. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you doing? Real well. Okay, this... so my, my take on this, right, is yeah. that if, if the man was still alive, it would be illegal and wrong for him to kill the dog. Why? Just because he's dead doesn't make a difference. He would go to jail for that, right? Well, I mean, uh, potentially animal cruelty. I mean, people have dogs put down all the time, but it's unethical. It's it's unethical for a veterinarian to euthanize a a healthy animal. And in this case, apparently, that like the shelter people are saying that they had alternatives. They 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 could find a home for this dog. So it's not like the dog was not going to be cared for. Right, unacceptable. Yeah, it is. I and I can't. Now, thanks to I mean, like, what really makes me mad about this, and this is maybe more information than you need to know. But it, if you're a regular listener, you know how I feel about my my pup. And I mean, there's actually, there's even a provision in my will, and there's a provision in my trust to take care of to take care of Sasha if I pre predecease her. I mean, we've made those arrangements, but under no circumstances at all could I imagine a situation of. Gee, you know, I'm going to take this 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 part of my family, and I'm going to have a euthanize. How selfish can you possibly be? Let's talk to John in Heartland. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you doing? Real well. This story irritates me. I admit. Well, it irritates a lot of people. I'm sure. I think the phone lines would be packed right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, when I first heard, first thing that ran through my mind is. Uh, what your other caller said is cruelty to animals. Don't we have laws on the books against cruelty to animals? Right. It's a healthy dog putting it down is cruelty to animals. Right. So you'd go. You think maybe the executor has committed a crime by by doing that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it shouldn't be. Uh, shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Well, I I agree. And and of course, again, it's unethical for veterinarians to to do this. And that's. Look, if I'm the executor of the state, I just come to the conclusion that this is an illegal instruction, and it'll be, okay, I'm going to find a good home for this dog, and then at some point in time when the dog passes away in the future, we'll collect the dog's remains, and then we'll, we'll bury the dog with the lady. That's how you handle this. You don't put I the agree. healthy dog down. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. Right. No, thank, thanks for calling. And it, it's aggravating that, that somebody would do this. And I will tell you, the other thing that just goes through my mind is, I can't imagine I can't imagine somebody who loves an animal being so damn selfish to say that okay when I pass away okay I want that dog killed I mean, now, I, I understand if there's no other alternatives or something like that, and you're afraid that the dog's going to be on the street and that there's nobody going to take it, et cetera, et cetera, and the dog's going to be abused. But even then, it's like, okay, you set up the will, you know, make arrangements for somebody to take the dog to watch it. I mean, that's that's what you end up doing. It's kind of like if you have, you know, if you have, you know, children, all right, you know, in, in your will, you know, you make arrangements that, gee, if something happens to me and I can't care for the children anymore, this is who's going to take the kids. You do those kind of things. That's how you handle it. You don't have the healthy dog put down. Ken in Milwaukee. Ken, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? i got a couple things to say about it. Uh, number one, I agree that it's wrong. I don't think it should be right at all. But I, looking at the other side of the story, how many dogs from shelters – are euthanized every day, healthy dogs, mm-hmm. 
There's a lot of shelters that put them down because they don't right. have anywhere to go. You right. know, but, so that's one, one thing. Yeah, but let me stop you there. Let me stop. Sure. This isn't a... This was not a situation where they couldn't find a home for the dog. The, the people, as a matter of fact, the shelter are saying, we're going to have no trouble at all rehoming this dog. So, yeah, I mean, I, I understand that it kind of happens, but this dog, at least for the purpose of our discussion, they would have been able to place it somewhere else. I agree with you there. Okay. Going, 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 no, and again, I'm against the whole idea right. of it, but going, you know, carrying that a step further, uh, Chickens, cows, you're killing everything, you know, for food. Yeah, it's for food. But still, it was a live animal. It was healthy animal. I hope they're healthy when they're killing them for food. But, you know, they're healthy animals that you're, you're, you're killing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So it, in a, in a, you know, sense, it's the same thing. What makes that dog different than any of the other dogs getting euthanized, different than the cows, the chickens, the, you know, whatever, uh, well, okay, now that's that's fair, Ken. And a matter of fact, it, it kind of ties into. I have a text, Jeff. If you eat animals, you love pets, but not animals. People say they love animals, but they eat meat. They are hypocrites. Well, okay, I I, I eat meat. There is part of a food chain, and and yes, I view domestic animals differently than I view animals that are you know raised raised for food. Okay, I and, and if that makes me a hypocrite, okay, then I'm a hypocrite. I, I can live with that. But in this case, you know, we are talking about domestic animals, and, and yes, I, I view you know a a housebroken domestic cat or a the dog. I view that differently than a reptile. I view it differently than a wild animal. Yeah, I see a distinction. I mean, I do. And, and again, I understand for hardcore folks who you know don't think you should eat meat or anything like that and think it's all killing. I appreciate that. I just, to me, it's a pretty clear dividing line. And that is, you know, again, is it a domestic animal? I see, I see domestic dogs and cats, etc. I view them as pets. And I think there's a difference between that and, again, a cow that's being raised for for food. And I'm comfortable with that. I sleep well at night. Maybe you don't. But I, I tell you, I if I were the executor of this will, I, I wouldn't do it. I would think it would be an illegal codicil. I, um, and I hope people... I just hope people think about that. It's kind of like, okay, if something happens to you, you know, who's going to take care? Well, what what are the arrangements going to be for the, the, your your pet, for the the animals in your life that give you so much pleasure and and enjoyment? And and hopefully you're going to come to a different conclusion than, gee, I I want the dog. I want the dog put down so it can be buried with me. If you want to find a spot for the pet's ultimate resting place, well, that's okay. But why don't you let the pet have a let the dog have a nice normal life? Okay, John McCure is down at the Deer District. I'm going to bring him in for just a minute. But I did off, want to offer a couple comments on on what happened, what happened last yesterday afternoon with the president. It's kind of all playing out now. When Barack Obama was the president, one of the things that he said was no drama. It was always like no drama Obama. He had controversial policies, et cetera, et cetera, but but he didn't want he didn't want drama. He didn't want the constant confrontations. President Trump, on the other hand, thrives on this. So yesterday he scheduled a, a meeting. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, they they come over to the White House 
He keeps them waiting, and then he walks in, and he, like, lectures them for a couple minutes about how he's sick of being investigated, and he's not going to have – he's not going to cooperate on infrastructure. This was a meeting about could we agree on trying to fix crumbling bridges and stuff. And then he storms out and, and has this press conference in the Rose Garden where, again, he, he rips on, on the Democrats. I understand the president's frustration with the continuing investigations. Okay, I, I get that. But the, the bigger picture is, you know, we have a country that needs to be governed over the next year and a half. And I, I recognize that there's going to be things that Republicans and Democrats and the president are never going to be able to agree on. And I recognize there's some things that we're not going to be able to accomplish. But, you know, th- there are some things that we should be able to get done reasonable reforms to health care that I think everybody could agree on. Maybe it's an infrastructure thing that, that helps start rebuilding roadways and things like that. Everybody says they want to do it. I think everybody might want to agree to do it. And, and that's why just kind of saying, okay, I'm not going to cooperate at all and we're not going to do anything, that's the kind of drama that might, you know, make for good political theater, but makes for really bad public policy. And I, I understand that, you know, politics is politics, and I understand we're going into an election year, but I guess I just don't want to spend the next 18 months or 16 months or however long it is just not getting anything done when there's an agreement, or at least there should be an agreement on certain policy issues that can get stuff done. And yesterday, I think the president moved us farther from that point than closer to it. And if Obama, Barack Obama was no drama, Obama that, that is not what President Trump is. Okay, when we come back, we're going to go down to the Deer District. John McCure is there for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.